You know that feeling you get when you're walking to your car alone at night? The one that reminds you to carry your keys between your fingers so you can punch any creeps? It's that unexpected shiver and then the lump in the pit of your stomach and suddenly you're walking like 10% faster. It's funny that we only get that worried feeling at night because if you look at today's crimes, daytime can be just as dangerous. It's the top 10 daytime murders. Today's criminals heard the slogan, sun's out, guns out, and <laughs> really took it the wrong way. And the only thing more shocking than the level of confidence or carelessness of these people is that some of them have never been caught. Hey all you weirdos, welcome to the ParCast Original, Crime Countdown. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast research gods. This episode we're counting down the top 10 shocking daytime murders. So Ash, have you ever seen something completely bonkers go down in the middle of the daytime? Okay, yes, I have. You know this story, but I'm going to tell everybody listen. Ooh, what is it? So this one day I was driving in Fall River and Ooh, you're like, you know, know this yeah, one. yeah, near the Freetown State Forest, which is like super haunted and creepy on its own. Sure is. And I was driving behind this car and then the car passed and then another car passed like this other car that was like way ahead. And I was like, why is everybody passing this car? Like, what the heck? And then things started flying at me from this car. So I too passed the car. And I just kind of like looked at the driver and I was like, oh my God, because her face was like drenched in blood. I forgot about bloody face. There was just blood dripping down this woman's face. And I actually was really so scared that I called the police. That was good though. Because I was like, what just happened to this lady? I feel like she shouldn't be driving. Smart. You saw something, you said something. But I don't know what happened. I need to know what happened there. I know, because for me, I feel like it solidified that like bad things also happen during the day. Yeah, they sure do. I honestly feel just as unsafe during the day, <laughs> mostly due to the fact that my skin can't handle even the tiniest amount of sun. But in general, I also feel unsafe because I'm a true crime podcaster and mm -hmm. I think my head is just constantly on a swivel at all times. And I'm just assuming the worst about every stranger. Yeah, you taught me to be that way too. I did. You definitely did. Well, you might be listening to this episode in broad daylight, but get ready because it's about to get dark. But I'm <laughs> I'm hilarious. <laughs> As always, Elena has five unsettling accounts of daytime murders, and so do I. But neither of us knows which one the other will have. Let's start the countdown. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 10. Starting off our list of shocking daytime murders at number 10 is Ken Rex McElroy. In 1981, McElroy was shot to death inside his parked truck in his small hometown of Skidmore, Missouri. Despite there being an extraordinary amount of witnesses to the murder, the town remained quiet about what they saw. So that's just weird. It's like, what's going on with Ken? What did you all see (laughs) and why aren't you saying what you saw? So Ken Rex McElroy was a violent bully who terrorized the town for years. Oh, so that's why they're like, I didn't, I didn't see anything, actually. Everyone's like, nope, didn't see a thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? what murder? Uh, he was constantly arrested, but never convicted of any of his crimes. So I'm assuming he kind of pissed a lot of people off. Sounds like it. He was finally convicted of second-degree assault after shooting a grocery store employee, and he got a two-year sentence. Like, in the grocery store? I'm assuming. Wow. I mean, how else would you know that they're a grocery <laughs> store employee? I don't know. But the judge, without protest, from the prosecutor released McElroy on bond pending appeal. Why, though? And I'm assuming this did not make people happy. Probably not. McElroy was then shot to death while sitting in his truck with dozens of witnesses who weren't willing to say anything about who pulled the trigger. Ooh. They were like, I didn't see anything. Saw nothing. Thank you, though. Did you hear a bird tweet? That's yes, all I heard. That's what I heard exactly. The prosecutor said they did have one name who they believe may have shot McElroy, but that person is dead. Oh, it's too little too late. Went to the grave. Carrying that secret. To this day, no one has ever been charged or brought to trial. And most likely, no one's ever gonna. Because the town is like, I don't care. Sorry, Ken. Oof. Nine. At number nine is the murder of Texas A&M student Charles Sessoms. In 1926, a riot broke out during halftime at a college football game in Waco, Texas. It was between rivals Baylor University and Texas A&M, resulting in the death of Sessoms. His killer was never identified. The incident went down when the rivaling students moved onto the field and the attacker hit Sesams with a wooden chair. That is the weirdest murder ever. Right? So weird. I'm like, also, why were you all so mad in the middle of halftime? Yeah, That's like, where'd you get the wooden chair? At a football game. Okay, <laughs> I was going to ask that and I was like, is that a dumb question? I don't know a lot about football, but I don't know why a wooden chair was on the field. Bring your own chair. I don't know. <laughs> well, according to historian T.G. Webb, Sesams did fight back but the attacker eventually hit him on the side of his head and that killed him. So he just beat him to death with this wooden chair? With a wooden chair. It's like, why are you so hyped at a football game? Like like an angry way, yeah. Webb also claims that there was some like unofficial cover up as to who the killer was because high ranking officials in Waco didn't want to ruin his future. Oh, we've heard that before. It's like, well, he's a murderer, so I don't really care about his future. (laughs) He doesn't have a future. He he threw it away himself. He did when he threw that chair. Right. Webb thinks that the attacker probably intended to hurt Sesums, obviously, but didn't mean to kill him. So that's why like officials didn't really push for any charges at all. Well, maybe stop beating him with a wooden chair if you're not trying to kill him. And then that won't lead to murder. Don't do that. Well, and it's like, that still is assault anyways. And it's still murder no matter which way you slice it. Still bad. Stupid. 
Well, the worst part about this case is that there's no evidence of a police investigation into the killing at all. And documents at Texas A&M and the Pinkerton National Detective Agency had the only clues. And now the whole story is basically a myth or like a legend at Texas A&M. Let's solve it. For real. I want to solve it. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of top 10 shocking daytime murders is Marlene Warren, who in 1990 was shot and killed by someone wearing a clown costume while holding balloons and flowers. Okay, add that to my list of fears. That's a big fear. I think of everybody. I don't like clowns. Everybody raised their hand. This case remained unsolved until a new break came with updated DNA testing capabilities, which led to the arrest of Sheila Keen Warren in 2017. Okay. Sheila was arrested in her home after FBI found a hair in the Chrysler LeBaron getaway car linked to the murder. Ooh, we love a forensic file. And we gotta know why. Why? Why were you dressed up as a clown? What was happening? Was she just trying to add some, like, drama? I need to know. But make it dramatic? Well, it turns out... Are you ready for the tea? Probably not, but yes. Marlene's husband, Michael Warren, was having an affair with Sheila Keen, whom he later married. Wait, he married her after... The woman after, killed. After the clown business. <laughs> what? I'm saying. Michael Warren denied any involvement in the murder because, of course, he did. Yeah, duh. But it turns out Sheila was the killer in the clown outfit. Oh, my God. Plot twist of the century. This is like the Long Island Lolita, but worse. But in a clown outfit. Right. It's awful. Investigators also found a picture of Sheila as a clown on Halloween years after the murder, posing in the restaurant she owned with Michael at the time. Ew. So it's like she was like, ha It was like a little joke. She's like John Wayne Gacy. She's horrific. Prosecutors are reevaluating whether to seek the death penalty for Sheila. So you in trouble, girl. Wow. Seven. At number seven this week is the murder of Grammy-nominated rapper Nipsey Hussle. In March 2019, Nipsey was fatally shot around three in the afternoon just outside his own clothing store on Slauson Avenue in Los Angeles. Nipsey was pronounced dead from gunshot wounds to his head and his torso. Woof. I know. There were two other unidentified men shot in the attack, but they survived, which is kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. One of them completely refused treatment, and the other one was taken to a hospital and treated. That's strange. Isn't it weird that he was like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm just going to walk it off. (laughs) Yeah. A description of the shooter was put out and Eric Holder was taken into custody as a suspect when somebody recognized him from the description. That's Eric. Police reported that Holder was seen on Sunday afternoon walking up to Hustle and the other men and firing shots at them in the parking lot of Nipsey's own store. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I need to know. Tell me now. Well, so the prosecutors in the case argued that Nipsey and Holder had talked about snitching shortly before the shooting, and that was most likely the motive. Oh, that's no good. I know. It's definitely not. We don't love that. Six. Also on our list at number six is Philip Barton Key II. Philip is the son of Francis Scott Key, who wrote our national anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. Whoa. In 1859, Philip was shot to death in the streets of Washington, D.C. by a man he believed to be a friend, U.S. Congressman Daniel Sickles 
who shot Key after learning about the DA's affair with Sickles' wife. You have a lot of affairs on your list, huh? I'm very scandalous. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) I guess I didn't. I don't know if you know this about me. Uh, So on February 24th, 1859, the congressman was slipped a note at a dinner party that revealed his wife, Teresa, was cheating on him with Philip Barton Key II. So that quickly turned into like not so great of a party. Which is like passing notes at a dinner party. party. Be like, here you go, do with it what you will. FYI. The Capitol's, quote, polite society took notice when Philip and Teresa were together at events, but the congressman was totally oblivious. So he had no idea. Someone was just like, hey, bro, you better open your eyes a little wider. Right under your nose. Philip would hang, this is so scandalous, slash romantic, slash extra. Oh. Philip would hang a string out of the window on 15th Street as a signal to Teresa and leave the door unlocked. Wait, so it was like. So it's like leaving a rubber band on the door to be like, someone's in here. Wow. (laughs) It was like, yeah. That is scandalous, but also romantic. I'm saying. Congressman Sickles demanded that his wife confess both verbally and in writing, which I would have been annoyed by. I'd be like, okay, I'll tell you. But I'm not writing anything. I'm not writing anything. You're not going to make me do that. He then witnessed Philip walking along Madison Place, signaling for Teresa. Wow. Yeah. Philip extended his hand, thinking their encounter would be friendly, but the congressman reached for his derringer and fired three shots at him. I mean, I'm upset that murder happened. It's a lot. But that's a lot. It's a scandal. It is a big scandal. So how do you feel about the countdown so far? This is just making me feel even more paranoid about being out in the sunlight. And like having friends, <laughs> yeah, just apparently. Having anybody that I care about. Having a about. husband, yeah. especially in this one. <laughs> I know, having a husband seems to be a really bad idea here. It does. Hi there, it's Ash. And Elena. And we want to tell you about ParCast's newest series, Medical Murders. It exposes a dark and disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alistair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers, dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history. Or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Five. 
All right, let's jump back in with number five on the countdown of shocking daytime murders. Starting off the second half of our list is the 1966 Texas Tower shooting. On an August morning in 1966, a former Marine named Charles Whitman climbed to the 28th floor of a tower on the University of Texas at the Austin campus and began shooting at the crowd, killing 11, including an unborn baby, and wounding 31 more. This case is so gnarly. This one is really, really sad. Before this horrible day, there were cries for help. Months earlier, Whitman had told a psychiatrist that he had uncontrollable fits of anger, and he also told a doctor that he was thinking of going up to the tower with a rifle and shooting people. So he literally told somebody that he was going to do this. And the doctor was like, that's fine. The doctor just didn't follow up on the red flag at all. That's not even a red flag. That's just a confession of a desire to commit mass murder. Like, before it even happens. Like, here, this is what I plan to do. You kind of failed. Yeah, follow up on that. Yeah. Hours before the shooting, Charles Whitman had killed his own mother and his wife. Why? They always killed the mom and the wife. I know. The first person shot on campus was Claire Wilson James. She was a pregnant incoming freshman. And she survived, but her unborn baby and her boyfriend, Tom Ekman, were killed. Oh, that's just a nightmare. Isn't that like the saddest thing ever? You're about to start your freshman year and you're like in love. Starting a family. Right. And that happens. And now you have to live with that. Exactly. The nightmare lasted for 96 minutes. That's a long time. 96. What is that? Like an hour and a half and then some. Yeah, that's a long time. It was also like super hot and hazy that day. So it made everything worse. And it added to like the confusion during the shooting because people just didn't understand what was happening. Yeah, it's just bullets right from the sky, essentially. Right. The total death count was 16, including his wife and mother, who were killed in their homes, three individuals as Whitman made his way to the observation deck, and 11 shot by his sniper rifles, and a 17th victim actually died in 2001 from injuries sustained from the attack. Whoa. Right? That's crazy. Whitman was eventually shot to death by police. All right. So it's like, (laughs) Um, Also, this is bananas. Classes were only canceled for a day. What? For cleanup purposes. And then business just resumed as usual. Oh, okay. Like, don't process. Don't process this huge trauma. Don't process the trauma. It didn't allow anybody any grievance or, like we said, any time to deal with the trauma that they just went through. Yeah, that doesn't create problems later on for anybody. And then, like, you can't get an absence in your class, so you're back at this horrible place the next day. That's terrible. like, two days later, but still. Austin didn't want to be seen the way that Dallas was after the Kennedy assassination. And people kind of credit that as the reason that the incident really went like largely unrecognized for the last 50 years. It's true because that's one of those cases that I've known about it forever. But when you mention it, people are like, who? Right. You're like, like, how does nobody know that? That was a huge deal. Seriously. Four. Landing at number four this week is one of the Zodiac's victims, Cecilia Shepard. During an early evening in September 1969, while still daylight, Cecilia and Brian Hartnell were brutally stabbed by the Zodiac killer as they relaxed by Lake Berryessa. Cecilia later died from her injuries, but Brian survived. This is like one of the saddest. So sad. Two really sad ones in a row. Yeah. So what might have saved Brian Hartnell was lying still and not really fighting, Mm -hmm. just kind of going compliant a little bit. 
After six stabs, he might have appeared dead to Zodiac. So, so then he kind of just like, stopped. I stabbed him six times. He stopped fighting. So I'm just going to move on. Cecilia started screaming while Brian was being stabbed. And then Zodiac went after her and stabbed her 10 times. Oh my God. I can't yeah. even imagine. Because you're sitting there watching him being stabbed. And you what think are you do? she probably thought he was dead. Too. Yeah, absolutely. The Zodiac called the police after the murder to claim responsibility and reported the location of Cecilia and Brian's bodies, which that's like a BTK move. I hate the Zodiac so much. Yeah, that's where BTK got that for sure. Definitely. The phone the Zodiac used to call the police was left off the hook just to be creepy. That is really creepy. And then you just see it like hanging and swinging in the distance. That's exactly what I picture. Right. And you hear like somebody going, hello. And a tumbleweed goes by. Yeah. Always a tumbleweed. Because science was not as advanced as today, detectives could really do little to track the killer at this point. Brian, though, was able to give a description of the killer and he said exactly what had happened. So that's that's awesome. You have a witness. He said he tried to keep a conversation going at first with the Zodiac, who claimed he had just escaped from a prison and just needed money in their car. But that was a lie. He lied. Like Like a a liar. liar. And across the killer's chest was the now infamous and lame circle with a cross through it, the symbol of the Zodiac killer. Can you imagine that he put on a fucking uniform? It's like, really? Like, you made a shirt. Stupid. Come on. Number three on our list of shocking daytime murders is Frida Ward. In January 1892, as she walked through Memphis, 17-year-old Frida had her throat slashed by her 19-year-old ex-girlfriend, Alice Mitchell, who had been jilted by Frida after their families found out about the nature of their relationship. That's an overreaction. And you're just walking through the streets? Yikes. Like you're just going for a stroll? Yeah. So Alice and Frida met at prep school and their relationship kind of became more than just friends. They were lovers. Lovers. So Alice came up with this plan where she would pass off as a man and they would be able to get married. And she even gave Frida a ring. Oh, this is making me sad. I know. It starts off as a very sweet love story. In February of 1891, they even got engaged. Oh, no. And like, that's so exciting. It is. And I'm really sad because I know how it ends. I know. So Frida's family then moves to a different town, which is, that's like the worst. Star-crossed lovers. Star-crossed lovers. There it is. But they did keep in touch and they wrote like love letters back and forth. Eventually though, Frida's sister figured them out and she forbade them from seeing each other. Her sister? The worst sister ever. I'd be like, like, you can't tell me what to do. I'd be like, you suck. Go away. Stop reading my mail. No way. Frida told Alice she intended to obey her sister, and that's when Alice snapped. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Alice's trial began on July 18th, 1892, and, of course, her defense entered a plea of insanity. Which, honestly, you might as well roll the dice on that one. Right? The trial revealed the public's reaction to homosexuality, which was outcry. It's like they thought the relationships between two upper-class white women was insane. Oh, of course. Duh. On the witness stand, Alice described the murder without remorse at all. Jeez. And she said that she cut Frida's throat because she couldn't have her. Oh, if I can't have you, nobody will. You know, the old slogan. That old chestnut. On July 30th, Alice Mitchell really was declared insane by the jury after only 20 minutes of deliberation. And she was sent to an asylum. I don't think she was insane. I think she was just angry. I agree with you.
that last one was crazy. Wasn't it? I can't believe this. We're already almost done. I know. And I know who number two is, but I'm really excited to see what number one is. Well, I'm going to surprise you. Is it crazy? It's pretty crazy. Number two is one that you're going to be like, oh my God. Well, let's hear it. Because it's one that I was looking for the whole time. And then when I saw it in mine, I was like, good job. Whoop, there it is. Good job, podcast research gods. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The runner-up spot on our countdown of shocking daytime murders, number two this week, is fashion designer Gianni Versace. In Miami, on the morning of July 15, 1997, Andrew Cunanan shot and killed Versace on the front steps of the mogul's South Beach mansion. We literally just did an episode on this for Morbid. And I remember this happening. Like, I remember this being a huge thing. I don't. Because you were one. Correct. But I do remember (laughs) the FX special, which was real good. (laughs) I remember that one from like last year. Andrew Cunanan was a California native who once funded a luxurious lifestyle from his relationships with older, wealthier gay men and sex work. He was just doing his thing. Yeah. He was living his life. All right, Andrew. Right. When his access to money and the lifestyle he thought he deserved started drying up, that's when things started going south for him. Because money problems always leads to moita. Yeah. And he was like, I'm used to getting this. I want it now. Also, I love that he just thought he deserved this lifestyle. Yeah, of course he does. Like, cool. Get a job. Exactly. Before heading to Miami and killing Versace, Cunanan went on a killing spree. He murdered ex-lovers and random strangers whose vehicles he stole. And I think a lot of people think that he just it was went just for Gianni, Gianni Versace. But no, he killed a ton of other people yeah. before that. The murders before Versace put him on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. Cunanan's motive to kill Versace is still, like, nobody really knows. Right. Since they didn't really know each other, from what we can see. And although they may have briefly met at some point or known each other, but it wasn't like you could point to, like, oh, there's the connection. That's well, and it was like he, he said that and he was, like, super duper unreliable. That's so the it's other like, thing. did they meet? He's like, I know Gianni Versace. We it's like, are you best probably friends. didn't, Andrew. No. 
So after the shooting, Cunanan was basically boxed into Miami Beach by police and FBI, and then he just went into hiding. Mm -hmm. And again, I remember this like vividly. It was like a manhunt. Police finally located the stolen truck that Cunanan drove into Miami, along with his clothes, a fake passport, and newspaper clippings detailing his murders. So he was one of those that liked to do the little scrapbook. He just liked to look at his stuff. He likes to and be look like, back on look what, what he's I done. did. He's like, look at that. That's gross. Really gross. On July 23rd, 1997, Cunanan's body was found in a luxury houseboat where he had been hiding. He shot himself. I just had like a Ugh. flashback to those. Remember those E countdowns? Yes. I swear I saw this when I was oh, like probably sure. way too young. I'm sure. But I just had a little flashback to that. Yeah, I could see it. One. And that brings us to the number one spot on our countdown of the top 10 shocking daytime murders. The assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Ah. It had to be on the list. It had to be. In the early afternoon on November 22nd, 1963, JFK was shot while riding in a presidential motorcade through Dallas, Texas a national tragedy that has been the center of conspiracy theories for like decades. I don't remember this one because I was not born yet. <laughs> no, not in 1963, Finally. are you sure? Finally one I wasn't born for. There you go. So Texas Governor John Connolly was also shot, but he recovered. So the official story is that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone when he shot Kennedy at 12.30 p.m. from a window of a nearby book depository. I don't know. Do you think he acted with somebody else? I don't know. You don't know? Put my tinfoil hat on real quick. Okay. Well, the president's motorcade rushed him to Parkland Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. So not very long afterwards. No, not at all. Less than an hour after the shooting, Oswald shot and killed a policeman who tried to stop him because he was like, oh, you matched the description of the guy they just said shot JFK. And he was like, oh, I'll just shoot you because I didn't do that. Exactly. <laughs> of course I didn't do that. Why would you say that? The president's body was placed on Air Force One. Before the plane took off, Lyndon B. Johnson took the oath of office. And then, on November 24th, Oswald was brought to the basement of the Dallas police headquarters on his way to a more secure county jail. Because they were like, we really got to lock you in tight. Quote, unquote, secure. Yeah, secure. Well, that didn't really work. Because no. as he came into the room, Jack Ruby emerged from the crowd and fatally wounded him with just a single shot from a concealed 38 revolver. Why did he do that? Not a super you secure find prison. Stuff out. Well, Ruby had connections to organized crime as well as Dallas policemen. And there were rumors that he was trying to silence Oswald from a bigger plot reveal. That's exactly what he was trying to do. Weird stuff. I'm saying. The video of the JFK assassination is one of the scariest things you'll ever watch. Well, and then like Jackie O just sitting there. Because Jackie, she wasn't just sitting there. She crawls onto the back of the car and like, gathers his skull off the back of the it's car. Awful. And then and, like, she tries to put it together in that outfit yeah. for like how long? It's really insane. It's awful. It's, it's so really crazy sad. to watch. So horrible. Do you agree with all the rankings? You know what's crazy? I didn't even think of JFK. Really? Yeah. That is now, a shocking daytime murder. It's, it's so shocking. And it honestly is the number one shocking, yeah. I would say. It had to be number one. I thought of one that was left off. Oh, give it to me. Brenda Spencer. 
Oh, the I Hate Mondays girl. Yep. She lived across the street from a school and she shot into the schoolyard in the morning because she didn't like Mondays. That was a spooky case. Spooky case. That's a crazy one. It could have been on here somewhere, I feel like. Yeah. Come on, podcast research. I got them. I thought you were going to get them. I didn't. These all were really good. They really were. Other than that, they were like really good. Yeah. And I knew that Charles Whitman was going to be on here because I I immediately thought of him because it was such Mm -hmm. a crazy one, but it's one that's like kind of hidden in the annals of history. When I got that, I was like, oh yeah, right. (gasps) Oh yeah. I remember. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker. And if you can't get enough of these creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even more episodes about this week's stories that we think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, follow Morbid on Instagram at Morbid Podcast and on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast. We hope you do. Bye. Bye. Crime Countdown was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen, Jonathan Ratliff, and Kristen Acevedo. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists, Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.